This is not an April Fool's. This is actually an audio podcast from You Call That Radio. It's been a while. Apologies about that. But I kind of was determined to get the Alan Bissett interview out before he does the Moira monologues at Oren Moore, which is tomorrow. That's if you're um, listening to this today, which you probably won't be because it's nine o'clock. So I reckon the podcast will be out by about 11. So it's probably the 2nd of April. So if you're listening to this and it's Sunday, you've still got time to go to Oren Moore to see the Moira monologues by Alan Bissett, which I highly recommend. I've seen the, the most recent one at the Edinburgh Fringe last year. It was hilarious. Alan is such an amazing performer, as well as a writer, author, and just an all-round good guy. It's a great chat. That's coming up on today's episode of You Call That Radio. And then next week, we have Dan McGarvey, and the week after, it'll be John Robb or something like that. And um, as always, there's millions of shows on YouTube Every couple of days. So if you've not been, if you've been, if you're missing out on you call that radio, just remember that there's a YouTube channel there, youtube.com forward slash you call that radio. And that's where most of the stuff is these days, but I'm going to try and get more uh, consistent shows of just audio only podcasts on this. I know I say this all the time, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. And um, the shows are only possible thanks to the patrons. And I know some of the patrons prefer an audio podcast, so this is for you. This is dedicated for all you guys um, who support the show. But yeah, just before we go into the, the Alan Bissett episode, it was just quite interesting because we end up talking about, we talk about lots of things. We talk about writing, we talk about um, the lockdown, just everything. And Pink Floyd came up as well. We talk about music. He's a massive music fan, um, as am I. And so we just talked about music, and quite weirdly, this is this is about a couple. This is a few weeks ago we did the interview, and we talked about Pink Floyd, and I didn't even mention this, which I should have, because two days later I was at a Scottish Pink Floyd tribute act at Hamilton, and I didn't mention it because I didn't know, I didn't know I was going. I'd agreed to it in the past, and I think most people in Scotland have had that Pink Floyd phase. You know the phase, where you get a smoke, listen to the wall, dark side of the moon, every day for about 10 years. That certainly was the case for me. So I went to Hamilton for the first time ever. Hamilton Townhouse. Well, the second time. I went once before to Hamilton and had a Greg's and browsed a charity shop for about an hour. Always waiting, someone doing a thing. That's a mundane story, yes, but I didn't want to start the show with a lie. You know, I've been to Hamilton once and nothing really happened. But the reason I went to Hamilton this night is to see Scottish Pink Floyd, which I assume is a play on Australian Pink Floyd. So basically, a tribute act of a tribute act. And just a few days after I talked to Alan Bissett about Pink Floyd, so I just thought I'd give you my, my thoughts on that. Um, I don't tend to watch tribute bands. I would say, previously I've even been a wee bit snobby about the concept when I was younger and stuff. But that's because mostly I was into bands that were still alive and touring. And now as I get older, that's no longer the case. So now I see completely see the point in wanting to see a favourite album or whatever by a band that no longer exists. And recent events suggest there will be 
there will never be another Pink Floyd gig. And I doubt that I can afford a Roger Waters gig at the moment. I think he's playing in June at the Hydro, but it's a bit pricey. Maybe if we get another 100 patrons to sign up for this show, or 30 patrons, 30 patrons, um, then I might be able to go, but it's unlikely right now. But um, another thing that's changed my mind about Tribute Acts was watching Australian Pink Floyd at the Armadillo, and I was quite shocked at the cost of the tickets, but the, the stage show absolutely blew me away. And I also have friends in Tribute Acts that are doing great stuff. Shout-outs to Paul with the, the James experience, Born the Frustration. That's the the first one that jumps to my mind. They're, they're playing the Barras on April 22nd with the Clone Roses, if you, if you fancy it. I do. I'm hopefully going to be there. And, I mean, obviously, James are still touring, but not very often in... And the and you know Paul and the rest of the guys this this is they play James songs with such passion and um, musicianship that I can't say anything bad about that. I'm excited to see them. So I mean I'm still unconvinced we need so many Jerry Cinnamon cover acts right now, but I'm also a firm believer in people should be able to do what the fuck they like as long as they're not hurting anyone. So I bar in. And we all love music. We all have our favourites. But it's really interesting to me that you could love a band so much that you're willing to devote your life to sounding just like them and learning all the songs not perfect. Do you ever get sick of a, um, like doing all the same songs? Imagine you're in a Stone Roses cover band. And in the Stone Roses, remember, they made their wee comeback for a while and they released a couple of new songs. They must have been absolutely buzzing have new songs to learn and um, I don't I, I, I wouldn't do it but it's I don't have the, the talent to do it I don't even like doing cover versions as I feel like it highlights the fact that I'm not a great singer I'm just blagging all my vocal performances I've learned to sing with my own voice and in my own style but you can find me regularly get found out at karaoke I'll get caught caught slacking caught lacking at karaoke so um, but yeah fair play to anyone to do that because you're putting yourself on the stage and people know the songs so they know if you fuck it up or not while you know if you're an underground artist nobody really knows what you're talking about or have ever even heard any of your songs for the most part now I remember um, meeting um, like well, I th- I th- an interesting thing, another thing about a tribute act is, is that the, the f- they must feel under pressure to look like the artist. I'm, I'm sure not all of them, but some of them must feel the pressure to look like another human being. And I remember meeting a Stone Roses cover band backstage at the Magnum in Irvine, um, a band called The Front were supporting, um, who I knew. And somebody just said to the bassist after the gig... You don't look like Manny. Imagine saying that, you know, what a weird tackle. The guy has just smashed no perfect rendition of Stone Rosie's songs for 90 minutes. The place was electric. It was bouncing. Um, they even ignored people throwing lighters at the drum kit. And the people that were throwing lighters at the drum kit were not doing this in anger. They were, they were doing it with pure joy as they sang along to every word. So... You know, they've just done a heavy shift and 
backstage, I think he might have even been signing autographs. I, I don't know what a cover band signs. Did they sign their real name? Did they sign the, the person that they're imitating? I don't know how that works, but just imagine you've just done a really good gig and you're buzzing, the adrenaline's flowing, and then someone pulls you up for your face, not looking enough like another human being's face. Your face doesn't look like another, a totally different person. And I wonder that, that, that I wonder if, you, if that bothers them, or hopefully not, hopefully they can just laugh it off. But anyway, back to Scottish Pink Floyd. Pretty much sold out a town hall in Hamilton, and their lead singer does look like Dave Gilmore. At least from a distance where I was in the moon seats, is you know, is it a coincidence, or is it maybe because people made them aware of the resemblance, and he thought I'll give it a go? Do you know what I mean? Like, was it a house party, and he's belting out comfortably numb or something? And someone goes, "You actually look like Dave Gilmore," and he's went, "Do you know what? I should just start a band." Or I should join a, a band that's already in existence. I don't know, but it shouldn't matter that you look like another human being. But it does help. Admittedly, it does help. It shouldn't matter, but for some reason, it, it adds to the illusion that you're actually watching Pink Floyd. And he looked enough like Dave Gilmore for me to to buy into the the concept that I was watching the real Pink Floyd. The first hour was a mixture of greatest hits from all the albums. So I, even though I had seen Pink Floyd covers before, it was some stuff that I'd never seen, like the stuff from Division Bell, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And they did um, a lovely tribute to a friend that was um, beautiful. And it, that, where were you song. It was beautiful. And then after that, he points, he points out a woman. So this is like the, the guy that looks like Dave Gilmore. He's he, he's a lead singer, by the way. He's not playing guitar like Dave Gilmore would be. He's just doing the vocals, but he looks a bit like Dave Gilmore. He points out that there's a woman slumped over the balcony. And it's kind of quite a wee worrying moment. Everyone's like, is she all right? And everyone's sort of around her going, wake up, are you all right? And she's not really reacting to anyone. And then security turns up. Then she sort of wakes up. I think she was sleeping. And she says, I'm fine. And everyone around her is like, well, it's no, she's like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And everyone's like, it's no fine. It's actually no fine, you might fall off the balcony. So they took her away down the stairs, and she seemed fine. She, to be fair, she did seem fine. But, you know, you can't really be having a nap on top of a balcony with um, less people below you. And she did actually appear back upstairs later on, which is good for her, is that's obviously where she wanted to be. And, you know, everyone is different at this gig, you know, it's a a mixed bag of older people, kids wearing Pink Floyd t-shirts, some people are just starting their Pink Floyd phase, and others are still having that Pink Floyd of having a smoke, listening to the wall, and smoking every day. At the age of 82, and there's people in the interval arguing over who's the bigger legend, what Roger Waters or Dave Gilmore. And in my opinion, they're both legends. I think Gilmore seems to have been the nicer guy over the years. But I thought the way that both him and Polly Sampson were talking shit about him a couple of weeks ago was a bit out of order. And I'm not going to agree with everything they say, but come on, let's not cancel any of them. 
they won't be around forever. Cancel them when they're dead. That's a more popular method these days, after all. But, yeah. Back to the gig. Good to hear. Uh, how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? In a Scottish accent. I was actually excited for that bit, because I was like, well, this is Scottish Pink Floyd. So this is going to be an actual Scottish person going, how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? But interestingly, even though they are Scottish, they rightly do an English accent. An English... A version of an English person doing a Scottish accent, which actually works better. Because, like, you know, the way I did it there. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? It's not actually a Scottish accent. It's imagining an English person doing an impression of a Scottish guy. And it was the right thing to do. So I liked that. It was just surprising, but it was great. Um, song selection was absolutely superb. Pink Floyd songs that I'd never thought I'd hear live. So it wasn't just the old classics. It was it was some. Well, they're all classics, aren't they? But there was some just interesting tunes that they so, they chose. Um, there was that so was just a sort of compilation of tunes, and then there's an interval, and then they played Dark Side of the Moon for the second half. But during the interval, I just want to give you a wee tip. If you're ever at the Hamilton Townhouse, by the time we got to the the bar. It was absolutely mobbed. There was a massive queue. So to avoid the queue, my top tip is, if you ever go to Hamilton Townhouse, is walk across the road. There's a, a curry house. I didn't eat any of the food, but it smelled amazing. Went in there, um, me me and my bro, and we just had a quick drink in there and then came back once the queue had died down. So part two, Dark Side of the Moon, start to finish. And as you're about to hear in this interview with Alan Bissett, Alan says quite rightly that it's probably the greatest album of all time. I would agree with that. Uh, the backing singers come into their own. The full band know it. Everything is, it flows so well. Everyone's reliving their youth. The youth are reliving their first joint. And maybe one day they'll form their own Pink Floyd tribute act and the cycle will continue. The demand... I think will always be there for, for these elite few bands to have people that want to imitate them, him, imitate their heroes with respect and, the, and there'll always be a crowd who'll lap it up. In the post-internet era, I don't see many bands ever being as widespread, known and loved. And even the younger generation coming through still love and adore all these songs. So, you know, there's Pink Floyd, The Beatles, The Doors, Oasis, Stone Roses, Bob Marley, you know, things like that are always going to have their cover bands and people will want to see that because they want to sing along to these classic songs that everybody knows word for word. So, anyway, I just thought I would tell you about my experience of watching Scottish Pink Floyd. I think that they're they're on. I think they're touring the Dark Side of the Moon. The same thing that I watched. I think you can you you'll be able to see them on tour if you just type in Scottish Pink Floyd. They've got some. I think they've got a Glasgow gig coming up soon and lots of other things. So yeah, shout outs to Scottish Pink Floyd. I actually really enjoyed it and. Maybe, maybe I will go to Roger Waters in June if I can get I get the money. I feel like it's the last chance to ever see Roger Waters in the flesh. Excuse the pun. So I um, shout out to Scottish Pink Floyd. This is you call that radio, and it's this is um, the audio podcast version of an interview that I had with Alan Bissett, uh, a, an author, a playwright, a performer. And a, a great a great guest with excellent chat. I hope you enjoy it. And um, yeah, I want this. One two one two. Yo, this is Charlie Tuna from Jurassic Five live and direct here in Glasgow, Scotland. And you call that radio? <laughs> 
So it's a late one tonight, it's a late one tonight, but it's worth the wait because we can go live to the brilliant Alan Bissett in the house. Hello. How's it going, mate? Right, it's my fault it's a late one. I'm so parenting, so I had to make sure the kids were done before we could uh, properly relax into it. And they are. Thanks for accommodating me. That's no problem at all, mate. I invited you back on. I mean, you were on the show before, probably at the, the very height of lockdown stuff, I think. Aye, I remember that. I because this sort of thing is a wee reminder of that. You know, I've not done a, a a live interview on, on the internet since lockdown. Really, there was all sorts of stuff obviously that was happening on the internet. Um, so it's nice to do this again. You can properly relax into it. You know, you can just take your time with it, and everybody's chilled out and in their jammies and got a cup of tea or a glass of wine or something. Uh, yeah, quite, aye. Quite enjoying getting back to it. Good stuff, aye, man. Well, a lot of people get have get PTSD for it. But, and there's a lot of people that just did it for a while, and then they sh- and then they ran away because it's so locked it's over. But we are you call it radio is here forever. We're here for the duration. I'm here. So, I'm here for as long as you're here. Right. Okay. Cool. Uh, I the reason I wanted to ask you back on is because I seen that you are you've got a big show on April the second, uh, Moira in lockdown, which I was lucky enough to see at Edinburgh Fringe last August. And I'm also excited by the fact that not only are you doing the show, which is brilliant, but you're doing a DJ set as well. <laughs> well, that's another thing, actually, that I did in lockdown, was I used to do online discos. So it's sort of really a, a live extension of that. Um, but obviously the new show, Moira in Lockdown, is born out of that whole experience. Because um, I've got this character called Moira, who I've done two previous shows about, one in 2009, the Moira monologues, and one in 2017, more Moira monologues and audiences like the character and I like performing as her but I couldn't really think of a reason to bring her back uh, were it no for the whole lockdown experience because it was so peculiar that I started thinking to myself well how would Moira be dealing with this and folks started asking me that I wonder how Moira will be dealing with lockdown and that kind of planted the seed so when the fringe came back I thought well let's let's find out let's write the show and see what Moira was up to during lockdown but uh, how Sorry. long a show was it? How long a, a show was it? The um, how many dates did you do? Uh, I think I did sixteen. Wow! So I've not done that many after. I've done one in Falkirk. I've done one in the village where I live, um, and I've got one coming up in Cove, um, out in the west of Scotland on the seventh. Is it the seventeenth? I'll be able to tell you right now. Actually, eighteenth of February, um, and then. Glasgow, which is obviously quite a big one, uh, or in more DJ set afterwards, so if anybody fancies a bot, um, I always find that the show creates quite a nice atmosphere, so folk want to hang about afterwards and chat and blether, and so I figured, well, why don't I just play some good tunes that everybody can enjoy? So I'm really, I'm looking forward to this more than mace gigs I've done, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm well up for this. No, that I'm not up for the other ones, obviously. You hate the other ones. You hate all the other ones. Well, that, that, I mean, it's like it's a joke. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that even although I always enjoy performing, I'm going to enjoy this one even more, I think. Well, I noticed that you did see, I think, I think, I think it was the, it might have been the last night of the run that we went to see. And I noticed that you, I think you, you did say you were going for pints after it, but I couldn't, I couldn't join you, sadly. But, but is, that, is that, is that, is that in part of the protocol? I know it is for, for me, for the most part, when, you know, I do the sober bit for doing the actual show, 
But then after the show, I want a, I want a few drinks. One or two. I so do to be honest. I mean, yeah. I, I tend to find that the sort of show that it is, because it's funny, uh, and I think because for a lot of folk watched it, it's quite relatable, folk weave in a good mood. And some of them want to keep the good mood going and talk to other folk. What did you think it and all that? And I always like to be part of that and meet folk, meet meet the folk that are in the audience. See, I've got two wee bands, right? And I love them very dearly, obviously. That goes without saying, right? I love being at home. I didn't tour as much now as I used to because I've got the veins. Uh, but what it means is when you find yourself in grown-up company, you really enjoy it more than you used to. Well, no, that, again, no, that I didn't <laughs> enjoy it before. I always yeah. enjoy grown-up company. But you enjoy it especially now because it's more rare. So I figure if people have made the effort to come out and see my show, at least offer them the chance to go to the pub afterwards and have a blether and all that if, if they want to. And what um, kind of tunes can what kind of tunes can uh, people expect? I know the answer to that, but for people that well, maybe they don't they, they weren't aware of your online discos. I pretty much play anything, and I know that's a bit of a cop out. Um, I try not playing, and it's too aggressive. Um, it tends to be stuff that makes folk feel good because that's what we all want for a dance floor, surely. Um, so something with a good groove, something that folk enjoy dancing to. Generally stuff that folk know. You're not going to really hear like cutting edge, cool, modern music for me. I'm, I've got to be honest with you, right? It's mainly almost entirely stuff for the past, but really great stuff for the past. So I would say there's a kind of... Um, like, if you think about the 90s as a general guide, so there'll be stuff before that and there'll be stuff after that, but the 90s was such a good time for music that, and it was my era, so I know the music, it, it tend to be that kind of that kind of vibe. It's classic after classic. Um, I've seen a couple of the online yes. ones. It's bangers, bangers galore. So the, the tickets for the show there, uh, i put the link in the or in the bio. If you're watching it back, um, you're not watching it live, you can get it there. Uh, Kareen says that she saw it in Edinburgh an opening night. Brilliant. And, um, yeah, uh, shout out Kareen. Um, I was going to ask you that. I was quite interested in that because I think i seen the, the, the last night. So maybe you could just give a brief description of, of who Moira is. Right. And, and, how, and how it, how it change, changes or does it change from opening night to the last night? Uh, so I'll answer the first question first, yep. but I'll get to the second question because that's a really good question. Uh, and I do want to talk about that. Um, so Moira is basically Falkirk's hardest woman, right? <laughs> I grew up in a housing scheme in Falkirk and I've got a massive family who all lived in that housing scheme and the family was run by women and they were strong women and they were hard women and they were funny as fuck. And they were all great storytellers. They all still are, actually. Um, like there's loads of them now because they're all made in my grand's image and then my mum's uh, sisters are all, are all Moira's. And then their daughters are all Moira's. And I can see it. They're, they're, they're just really funny, good company, I tend to find, when I, when I, whenever I'm around them. I love seeing them. Uh, but I've never really seen them on a stage. And I think if you ask most, like, most folk, name a, a play about working-class women. Right, OK, Mark, name a play about Scottish working-class women. I can't, there's nothing that straight away comes to my mind. She's a bit of a working class character, but there's, they're usually maybe not the main yeah, character. The Steamy, obviously, is one uh, you could say maybe Men Should Weep is maybe another one that folk know. And it's not that they've never existed, but they have no, um, 
there, there could be a, a, a really infrequent um, rate. Of, like you're, you're not likely to see yourself as a Scottish working class woman on the stage very often. And I wanted to show folk them, and I wanted to tell their stories, and I wanted it to sound like them. So I started writing in their voice, and I thought, well, we'll maybe get an actress to do it, and that would have made sense. But I thought, fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to perform as Moira. Because I know their body language, I know the way they talk and all that. Um, and it was a bit of a high wire act doing it initially, obviously, because I was known as a novelist at that time. And folk really enjoyed it. So um, so I've done three shows. That, so that's that's basically where the character comes from. She's, she's a single mother living on a, a housing scheme in Falkirk, works as a cleaner, um, best pal is Babs, and all the stories are told to Babs. She's the audience, basically. Um, and it's all a series of stories from Moira's point of view. And obviously, in the latest one, it's Moira's experience, the lockdown. Um, so that's the show. The second question you asked about, does it change? Yeah. Over the, uh, the period, that if you're doing 16 shows, aye, it does. Um, you, you, you learn more about the script. Also, because I wrote the script, I can be a wee bit more fluid with adding things in and uh, taking things out and all that from night to night. Um, and you you realise the things that audiences didn't laugh at, like there's a joke you put in, you thought they love that, and they done it. And four audiences in a row have never laughed, so it's like well, it's still very funny. So you take it out, and you try other things, and you do get a laugh. You're like, oh, I'll keep that in. So it's nice feeling it. It's probably at its, at its final stage now because I've done it quite a lot. But you never know. You know, the mere idea, the mere might find wee hands. I find that way uh, spoken word is probably the closest I've done anything. Like. I think I did I did do um, a wee bit acting for a, a play before, but it was it was difficult. I found that it was uh, what was it? What's that? Uh, whiskey galore, and I did um, it just I just did it in Govan Hill. They were they needed someone had pulled out, and I, I I just put myself forward. But it was not. I didn't wasn't that much time to prepare, and it was it was an old Scots kind of sort of Tudor Scots stuff as well so mm. a lot of uh, the dry humour was kind of sort of it was it was difficult I wasn't very good at it but I suppose the, sp- the closest I've got is spoken word where there's lines that I think are funny that people don't react to and then there's lines that and on paper are not funny at all but for some reason the audience do react to it I mean why do you think that is is it just um, the setting or just the way it's said out loud or why why do people laugh at the bits that that you, you maybe would have just thought as a throwaway line. You can't predict what an audience is going to go for until it's actually in front of them. Because that's definitely happened to me before. You know, I think it's just, first of all, every audience is different. Um, the setting, like you say, the setting can make a difference to the performance, obviously. the All sorts of things to do with the lights and uh, the sound and, you know, the size of the place and all that, how big the audience is. All these things are really relevant. I mean, I saw uh, at the weekend Suede, right, who are a band I love, like love, performed to 40 people in stereo. Now, whenever I've seen Suede before, it's been thousands of people there. 40 people. And, like, that, the way that he must have factored that in as a performer, Brett Anderson, to, like, do what he does and it's still work in a setting of 40 people as it does in thousands, that's actually quite a, a rare thing. So the mere different types of gigs you do, the mere experience you get, and the mere you start to wonder what would work in front of certain audiences, um, it's just, 
experience is, is everything really when it comes to performing. You learn so much more about what you do. I'm actually just going to upload a picture of his suede. It's stereo. Oh, it blew my mind. <laughs> if this was as I went to this. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. He was right I mean, there. That's crazy. He gave everything. He gave everything. I saw him when he came on stage. I saw him look at the audience and go, well, this isn't a lot of people. I could see him thinking that. And I thought, well, how's he going to adjust to this? Like that, by throwing himself into it. It was, it was awesome to watch. But also, just, like... So we've seen so many bands there over the years, so it is crazy just to see, and I played it myself a few times, so it is mad to see Suede doing it. And um, I noticed, I heard that, just on this, on the subject of Suede, I think that, I don't know if it's true, but I read an interview, so I'm assuming it is, but what they did was with the new album is they started a, a new band name that nobody knew, and they tried to just play to small venues, and I think they got about one or two gigs in, and then obviously the word got out, because obviously he's a, he's a very well Kent face, so uh, that was the name that they toured what under. was it called what were they called crushed kid yeah, crushed kid i think it's a sort of play on suede you know right. what i mean kid being a baby goat it's maybe something to do with that i don't know but anyway that's the name that they played under i a really good idea for them though to reinvigorate themselves absolutely absolutely and i'm, I'm i mean i'm, I'm going to make it why was why was it uh, what was the reason why was because i know i know um stephen watt shout stephen watt he got he got a ticket for it as well so how did you get a ticket? Was it Independent it was, Music Venue Week or something? Or it why was Music Venue Week and BBC Radio Six, Six Music were doing yeah. uh, a, a thing about like wanting to promote it, and obviously they want to align themselves with that sort of thing because it's music fans that listen to Six Music. Um, so I don't know if they persuaded Swede into this or Swede approached. Them. I don't know. I don't know how how that came together, but it came together. Swede were playing in stereo, which is anybody who's ever lived in Glasgow for any period of time will know is a really exciting music venue. But it's small. Yeah. You know, like although I did one see St. Vincent there, which was awesome. Um and that's the thing about stereo, you might see future acts that, you know, become become names, but Suede playing it was was something else. Um so basically um I was at the launch of the international, the, sorry, the Glasgow International Comedy Festival because Moira's playing at it. It's part of that, you know, the, the gig that I'm doing, it's part of the international festival. So I thought um, I would go along to the launch party. And I didn't, I didn't tend to go to very many parties these days, obviously, because I've got the wings. If it's maybe like half a mile walk from my house, I'm, I'm more likely to go. But I thought, all right, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Um, didn't know anybody there. Uh, he's, he's, randomly get chatting to folk and before I knew it I was in a conversation with this lassie about Swede turns out she loves them um, and she used to work for the band and so like we got into a whole conversation about Swede and she got in touch and said do you want to go and see Swede at this venue and I was like can I? I think she recognised how much I loved Swede <laughs> You know what I mean? She wouldn't see if we'd chatted about Swede and I'd be like, I Swede, I good band. There's no fucking way she would have made yeah. sure that was a gig. But because like we went in deep about the B sides and so you know when you meet somebody who loves a band as much as you do, it's yeah. a really great and rich conversation. So um she'd done me a solid there and, and got me into that gig. It was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I love it. It was one of the best gig memories I've ever had. Well, uh, speaking well, of people, people tuned in to hear, I, I, I don't know what they've tuned in to hear about, but they've heard <laughs> a lot. 
Sorry. Hi, people. Wait. Hi, people. Want to hear about suede as well? I seen, one, I seen. I seen you sharing a, a, the post earlier on, and somebody was saying, "Don't mention Pink Floyd." Should we be talking about Pink Floyd? Mate, like, don't mention Pink Floyd. Floyd. You know what I mean? I want to talk about Pink Floyd because what, what do you Which make of that? So for people who don't know, uh, uh, is it Polly Samson. Sorry, am I getting that right? Yes. So she's she's did the tweet. So she, uh, David Gilmore's partner, and wrote a lot of the lyrics to Pink Floyd's later albums. But she just went out in a rant against Roger Waters. And I mean, tax dodging, misogynistic, lip syncing, which was like, whoa, whoa, lip syncing. Um, and fascist, I don't know if it's racist or something. Is, I, I, sorry, I thought, is Roger Waters lip syncing? I don't know. I mean, I've seen him live a few times over the last few years and I would have no way of knowing if he's lip syncing. Um, I mean, one of the reasons I go to see Roger Waters is because it's Roger Waters and I love Pink Floyd. And the size of the show, the scale of it, they're enormous. It's, and you've got like thousands and thousands of people in there who love Pink Floyd as much as you do. I'm aware of his political opinions. I try not to pay too much attention to them because I really want to like love Pink Floyd. <laughs> um, and I, I, there's some things he says I'm like, fucking bang on, you know what I mean? Woof. And there's other things I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I, don't about, I don't know about that, you know. But that, I mean, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy to accept my heroes having those kind of contradictions. I'm not one of these people who's like, we have said that, so fuck you, you're over. I think maybe with Morrissey, I might be there, I'm not going to lie. Well, he's been quite consistent, hasn't he? You know what I mean, like, I think, <clears> I think uh, you know, that. that well, it's, it's easier for me, see, to be honest, like, with, with the Smiths and, and Morrissey stuff, like, I've always. Like, the, probably the same way that if that woman had been talking to me and she worked for uh, Morrissey, I would have went, aye, Smith's good band, Morrissey, great, aye. But I've never been, it doesn't take a, I don't need to, you know, it wouldn't make any difference if I stopped listening to Smith. I wouldn't listen to them any less than, because I was Floyd. never a big, I was never a massive fan anyway. But I'm a massive Pink Floyd fan. And um, I, I think that it always came across to me as like David Gilmore seemed like the kind of, I seem nicer. Uh, uh, um, but then um, now I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, but, I, I mean, must have been Floyd my, all my life, you know what I mean? It was, um, it was probably four, 14, 15 year old when I finally got it. Started like, smoking like, joints. I didn't get it before the, the, the joint phase. But <laughs> when I, after I did the wall and then everything, just, um, and I mean, also not all of it. I mean, obviously some of it's hit and miss, but that's what makes a true artist is yeah, taking right. risks and trying it, you know. Several that's species good. of small fire animals in a cave gathered, gathered together. I have to go the rest of my life without hearing that again. Exactly. <laughs> Dark side of the moon. Wish you were here. The wall. Metal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, incredible stuff. Paper at the gates of dawn as well. Shout out Sid Barrett. Music better than anybody else has ever done, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the personalities, I try and know what that affects the music, right? Because the music will always be mine and nothing could happen that would affect that, to be honest. But when it comes to the personalities, I I, I don't know where I am with it. See, Roger Waters was kind of kind of an arsehole for quite a long time while he was in Pink Floyd and then took over the band and basically treated the others like session musicians and, you know, like they were nothing. And it's like, fucking these guys wrote Dark Side of the Moon with you. Do you know what I mean? Like, look, these aren't Muppets. And then he sued the band because they carried on his Pink Floyd and it was a bit like, Roger, sit down. And he's acknowledged that now. However, the music that Pink Floyd made when he left was rubbish. Rubbish. And oh, yeah. What about, much, what about High Hopes? There's, there's definitely someone there. High Hopes is great. 
I hope it's great. I actually can listen to the Endless River. I know yeah. that's not a favourite by a lot of Floyd fans. Well, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, I listened oh, to that quite a lot about a year ago because we had Martin Youth Glover on the show. That's and he, right. he produced the last ever Pink Floyd I album. So, yeah, so um, I, I, I said so to I, him in the chat, like, yeah. it was Youth. I said to him in the chat, well done in producing that latest Floyd album because I actually didn't mind that. But I didn't really think there's anything like as good as the word when Roger was, mm. was in them. So he kind of like, when, when he go back together at Live 8, that was Pink Floyd. That was the first time I'd ever seen Pink Floyd and stage together. I'd, I'd, I'd been to see the Gilmore Floyd when they toured the Division Bell. That was only live Floyd, that had the visual representation of them. And to see them like that, it's like, no, that's Pink Floyd. It really is. Uh, but because Gilmore legally owns the brand, um, him and Mason, you know, essentially, I think they are seeing Roger Waters as damaging the brand because among a lot of the folk that he's pissed off, like that, those are potential Pink Floyd fans that might detach. And I think Gilmore is maybe like, we need to neutralise this and protect the brand. And I wonder if that's what's happened. I don't well, know. Certainly not neutralised it. It's uh, it's caused a lot of a lot. Of, I wouldn't say neutralised at all. It's just caused a rammy. But that has. Aye. I mean, ours <laughs> will come back at them with lawyers and all that. I mean, he really well. This could get really ugly. Jim Morin's got a controversial status that they've been pissed and said Barrett left. Well, right, Jim, you're somebody I respect very much, but I've got no time for that. <laughs> more than pish after Sid Barrett I love the Sid Barrett Floyd Aye. in a way they're a different band right? but I love Aye. them but Dark Side of the Moon Shining on your crazy diamond Echoes this is this is transcendental music Yeah. Um, but I respect your opinion uh, but Jim also did say going back on to the Moira I think the Moira stuff appeals to many people because you're hearing things said that you would hear in your scheme by the kind of people you know it's familiar but unfamiliar on a stage Aye, that's, that is a, a fair assessment, I think, aye. Um, for the people who've seen it, a lot of them, either, a lot of them, the times will say, oh, I know a Moira, or I've got somebody in my family who's a Moira, or they might even go, she's a Moira, the pal. Like, everybody knows a Moira, and it's a very Scottish thing, and it's a very Falkirk thing, actually, which was another thing, obviously, I wanted to kind of represent Falkirk on, on the national stage, because um, that's where I came from. But, she exists in like Dundee and Aberdeen and Gala Shields and Manchester and Liverpool and Newcastle and there's Moira's everywhere. She's no unique to Falkirk. So I think that's one of the, maybe the reasons folk have enjoyed seeing her is because they, they, they feel that she's part of their everyday life. Um, and and what's, what, what's, um, is it, what's next for Moira? Because obviously... Uh, you didn't know where she was going before lockdown. Would there is there a post lockdown Moira? Has it? Has... I don't know, man, because no. it's a trilogy um, now, and I think there's a nice shape to a trilogy because we've all grew up in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. There's something neat about a trilogy. Um, what would they be called? What what comes after a trilogy? I mean, I'm quadruple I, I, I don't know. Quadrilogy. I once saw the Alien, after Alien Resurrection came out, I once saw all the Alien DVDs and a box set market, he does the Alien Quadrilogy. So that was four. That so as a word. Um, I don't know. I think it would have to really depend on... I'd need to wait a few years and, and assess the situation. I mean, Moira's world changed a lot 
between the first one and the second one, and again between the second one and the third one. And you need to allow time to pass for that to happen. Um, and as I say, it was only really when lockdown happened, I thought, well, of a reason to bring her back now. I don't know what you run out of things to say and do the shite one and the see the mayor I did them, the mayor likely I am to do a shite one. So you kinda maybe need to know where to end the story. This is where I get frustrated with things that go beyond their trilogy. Alright, right, no offense to Star Wars fans out there, right? I like Star Wars. I'm not a, like a fan fan, right? I don't know if this is even a controversial opinion these days or no, Mark. You might you might be able to tell me. Folk in the I'll chat, tell you. I'll tell you what right? I think. See Star Wars. It's three films. Star Wars, No New Hope, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And that's it. I didn't care about the prequels. I didn't care about the sequels. I didn't care about the spin-offs. I didn't care about the TV series. That was the story. And that's why Star Wars is in the trouble it's in the now, because they didn't know when to end it. I, I don't think that's controversial at all. I mean, maybe it's from some bars. I, I, I didn't watch any of the new... I went to the pictures to see one of the newer ones. It was all right. It was a good wee day out. Get to the pictures. Quite a kind of... But it's the kind of thing that... But is it Star quite, Wars, Empire Strikes Back, or, or Return of the Jedi? No, I mean, I had, when, I, when I came out, I was a wee guy. I had the, I had the, I had the toy figures and stuff like that. So that was a different experience. I suppose it was. Maybe, maybe, maybe I, I should have got the toy figures. Maybe I should have got the toy figures. In the, that's, in the actually, that's how I first became aware of Star Wars. I, mean, I don't know what age you are, right? But I don't think we're maybe that far apart. But when I was wee, it was the figures. The, the, that's, that, was, that was the marketing genius of Star Wars. It got folk into it through the, the toys, and then they became aware of the films off the back of that. So yeah, I, 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 stole a, I stole, I don't, I think it was like a, a Stormtrooper um, when I was about four or five off my mate, and my dad found it and gave it back. So Well, obviously, that's... I can't even condone stealing, but that's how coveted Star Wars was. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I was just, you know, I was that age, you know. I said, I, I, I'm not here to confess, I'm not here to confess about that. I, what, what I do want to confess about, actually, is uh, when I was at the show in Edinburgh, did you hear a ring, a noise, a phone going off at one point? I did. That I... was me. Oh, man. Oh, I was, I was the most, it was the actual, the fear that gripped me. Um, and I think it's like I turned my phone off because obviously, you know, it's, you know, every way, turn your phone off, don't do it. But it was an alarm, so I had an alarm. And I have an alarm that goes off. At that time, I think I was still doing shows most days. So I have an alarm that goes off at six o'clock to warn me you've got an hour to stop what you're doing and get the, get ready for the show at seven. So even though it's switched off, the alarm switches on. Accidents happen, man. It's all right. But, but one yeah. of the things that did happen during the Fringe, right, and... That's about that. When somebody's phone goes off, oh my God, oh, sorry, switch it off. But there was one time, and it's only a 100-seater venue, there was one time I looked out and I could see a wee light. So somebody in the audience had their phone out. You see, after checking to see if they've had a really important message, right, okay, maybe their wife could be going out of labour. Maybe they need to check their phone. Maybe if or, their wife's in labour, they shouldn't be at the show. Or, 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 but, or, but they might really like Moira, so I fear enough. Aye, aye, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, taking him with a babysitter or something like that, right? Yeah. They might really need to see if it's a message for them, or they might be seeing what time is that because I need to get to the other show, right? So you take your phone out. Oh, right, it's that time. Put it back down. This one stayed out, and I can see when you're on stage. All you can see is like pitch black, right? 
No, I know at gigs like music venues and and maybe even stand up shows, folk get their phone out and like um, theatre. Which boy? Because Moira's a play theatre. That's not the convention. You keep your phone away. If you need to use your phone, go out and use it. You know, or, or you know what? Just enjoy the experience. Switch your phone off and just enjoy the experience. Anyway, this phone stayed on, and I had to address it, but I didn't want to break character. So Moira said something about it. And it's a tightrope at that point because, you know what I mean, you, you want to be able to find your way back to the script. And it's not a, a stand-up show where it's interactive and you, you start talking to hecklers. It's not that kind of show. Um, so that was a wee bit kind of like, whew, you know what I mean, like that that kind of experience. And how did that go down? Can you remember what you said? and what? A, a day, I, she, she, made, she was having a rant about something and, and I can't remember what it was. And at the end of the rant, she said, and it's no annoying as folk who've got their mobile phones out during a show. <laughs> and the audience who'd obviously noticed this phone applauded and, like, you know, like acknowledged that. And, uh, you know, shamed? Did, they sh- did the audience laugh? She, she shamed because she was on her phone, she didn't even realise that the joke could be, she thought it was a joke that was happening in the air around her. And f- until I started noticing folk next to her going, put your phone down, put your phone down. <laughs> <laughs> So it kind of, and at the end of the show, I apologised to her and we bantered about it a wee bit, and it was all fine. But, um, but the person's also barred from the next show. Keep your phones. Well, you just, yeah, you didn't. So anyway, that your phone ringing is totally fine. Aye, and it wasn't ringing; it was an alarm going off. Well, there is a difference yeah. there. There is a difference yeah. there because I did, I did, I did know. But I mean, you call that radio is interactive. However, the theatre is not interactive. But the but you call it radio. So if anyone's got any questions, uh, we can add, ask a few towards the end. Here, um, is Moira played in drag like Les Dawson, Gossiping Neighbours? That is a good question, and I'm uh, amazed I didn't address that before, because it's actually no in drag. It's just me. I wear fairly neutral clothes, um, and I let the shoes do the work. So I'm essentially, like, heels and maybe, like, skinny jeans. So I'm kind of female for the waist down, if that makes sense, but the rest is just neutral clays. Uh, and there's no makeup or hair or anything like that. It's no, it's nothing like RuPaul's Drag Race. I just, I, I, first of all, I didn't think I could pull that off. And secondly, I want folk to kind of just project what they think Moira looks like, according to me. Like, they start imagining what she is. But if yeah. I come on with a frock and a wig and makeup, and that's what they'll think Moira looks like. Um, and I didn't want her to feel like a cartoon, you know what I mean? So I want her to feel as as real as possible, and that means kind of minimalist costume, if that makes sense. No, it works. It works. I think so. I think it does make sense. It's, uh, how long did it take you? Did, you was that, did a lot of thought go into that, or did you, right from the start, did you just have that image in your head? I tried on a dress. Right, <laughs> okay. And I was like, no. <laughs> I says they're going to work. It just didn't, for some reason, didn't fit with the character and what I was trying to do. Um, and the director, Sasha Kyle, who's worth acknowledging and all this because she's directed all three shows and I couldn't have done it without her. Um, she was like, like, no, let me let me just direct you and put it on to the acting. So it's not really about the costume. It's all in the performance and the writing. And I think that was absolutely the right advice. If it had been a drag thing, it wouldn't have... I couldn't have pulled it off. What is your experience with acting 
before you did the first Moira monologue? Um, <clears throat> it was fairly minimal. I mean, I'd been in some student productions and musicals. Um, Douglas Maxwell, the playwright, actually, that's how I met him because he was producing them at that time. He was maybe 19 year old and I was 17 year old. Um, so that's how I got to know Douglas and he went on to great things in, in the theatre world. So I'd done that, but because I, I didn't have a singing voice, I can't sing and I'm not a particularly great choreographed dancer. I can freestyle dance to my heart's content, but no a choreographed thing. Um, I never got any main parts, but I did get used to being on stage and I, and I kind of liked that. And I was a teacher and teacher is nine-tenths performance because when you're in front of a, a class of 30, 15-year-olds, you need to keep them engaged from start to finish and you do that all day, every day. So you actually do learn some performance skills in that environment, that's for sure. And also when I did readings for my books, I'd been to readings before and it was like, and like, it was really boring. And I, I, every in the room was like, oh, fucking, this guy's been reading for 25 minutes. And I, I vowed never to put an audience through that. So whenever I read anything, I would try and do the voices and, you know, like, use my body language a wee bit in my hands and that kind of stuff. And I think it was the collision of the three things, essentially, when I got came up with the Moira material that led to me being able to take the, or what felt like an organic step into performing a show myself. But I didn't have any acting training or uh, drama background. And like I totally respect the folk that did because I've also been in a play with other actors who have had that training and I realised I was out my depth because yeah. I think that training does give them technique and discipline that I've probably not got, um, which is why I quite like to just perform in stuff that I wrote, to be honest, rather than stuff that other people wrote where my deficiencies as an actor would be exposed. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really interesting way to think about it, because if it is a, a one-person show, then you're not, because you're not actually having to interact with someone else, so like if you were, you know, if you're the, you know, if I'm on a stage with someone who's an amazing actor, maybe, yeah, your flaws might get, well, if you're just creating a world that just you're in, that's interesting to think about. What about, what about memorising words? Because I know a thing that people always say, like, how do you remember the words? And from my experience, it's just like practice and just repeating it, repetition. Is there any other tips apart from that? Um, well, I think it maybe helps that I wrote it in the first place. So I'm already kind of inside it. I've already thought about it a bit. Because usually when an actor gets a script that somebody else has written, a playwright has written, it's completely new to them and they have to find a way into it. Um, so I've got that advantage a wee bit. But it is essentially a repetition. In the writing, I try and have a kind of flow. There's a structure to each story that hopefully makes it engaging to audiences, but makes it easier for me to memorise. There are certain turns in the script where, you know, that bit follows that bit follows that bit. Um, but there have been moments where I've forgotten the script on stage and I just need to jam for a bit. And I think maybe because it's my script and it's my play and, you know, I'm no having to represent somebody else's play, I can do that, um, and it's all right. Um, but that's terrifying if you've got another actor on stage when somebody's forgot their lines. 
I mean, it's pretty scary when, when I forget it. I'm like, oh, fucking, there's two things happening. At the front of my head, I'm like, keep talking. Keep, say something. And at the back of my head, like, what's the line, what's the line, what's the line? And I'll somehow find my way back to it. Um, but you would rather not be in that situation. Because so keep talking, or what about what about just feigning emotion? Like really thinking, I, having a hard thing. I've done that before, where it's like wheels spin for a wee bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I, but you would rather just like no make a dick at yourself and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. What about uh, what about? Because obviously I first knew you as an author. Um. Are you working on any books at the moment, or? I am. So I kind of started out as a novelist and was that for about 10 years. And then plays happened and I, and I went into that and I've really enjoyed it. But I've always wanted to get back to writing a book. And I did release a novella just at the end of lockdown. Came out my bed. No, it was the end of 2020. So it wasn't the end of lockdown, but it was the end of 2020. Um, called Lazy Susan which was the first substantial piece of prose that I'd done for maybe about nine years. And that gave me a wee confidence boost and I've started on a novel. And novels are big statements. I've only released four novels. And my first one was published when I was 25. So that shows you, like, that's no very many. And if you're going to come back after that long, it needs to be something quite special that maybe folk aren't expecting for you and like you can't come back with just the same shit you've done before if you've been away that long um so i'm writing this book about witches which is kind of writing a novel kind of consumes you it's a really fascinating process you go into a kind of another world there's no other art form like it i think where you inhabit another it's like being an avatar see that i went to see avatar too and loved it so this is my immediate frame of reference it's like being an avatar in another world and you spend quite a long time inside the heads of other people and anybody who's written a novel will, will tell you about that experience and you want to come back out with something really valuable. Um, so that's coming. Um, I've also written a non-fiction book which is coming out in 2023, August 2023, which is sort of advice for young guys. Because I've got sons now, I want to kind of one day I'm going to be dead, and I want that to be something that can pick up Dad's advice, and it's about how to kind of know, like, disrespect women's boundaries too much, and then he, like, freak them out. You know what I mean? Like, women, I think, are quite they're saying it as loud and clear that their men scare them quite sometimes, you know, and we need to kind of try and change that culture. So I'm trying to pass on some of my advice and maybe like the benefit of a wee bit of experience over the years to try and say maybe go more in that direction than that direction. Um, so that's coming out this year. Um, and I'm writing a play, uh, which I think is something different again. But we'll, we'll, I've monologued for a bit here, so come back in. That's all right, man. What about, what about Lazy Susan? Is that going to get made into something else? Well, I'm talking to a director about a play adaptation yeah. And the nature of Lazy Susan, it's written from the point of view of uh, this young lassie on the party scene uh, or one weekend. And you have to make choices on her behalf, like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Remember them? Oh, cool. 
Yeah. Um, and we thought that that might work well in a stage environment where you can maybe get the audience making decisions about what the actors do in the next scene. So I think it I could have a bit of potential there. So leave leave that with me. But I did. I, yeah. Do you know what? I really really enjoyed writing that book because it came at the end of like a period where the kids were there all day every day for quite a long time and neither me nor my partner could write at all so it was like whoosh once they were back to school and nursery that book came flying at me um so i anybody who's who's not read it i think you you, you maybe would like it actually honestly yeah, go get it i got it i got two i got two june locked in it's a Christmas like gift it. as well. Yeah, aye, man, it's, it's brilliant. And I think uh, that's why I was just, I was curious if it, and I like the idea of a choose your own adventure sort of interactive. But I suppose the problem with that is you've got to learn four plays, I suppose, haven't you? That's true, but I think that would be a challenge for an actor. Well, you like kind of get someone that's quite good at improv. So there's a kind of like a... Maybe. There's some, there's some, there's some uh, meat and tatties there, but... Aye, aye. I know. I, I think that would be uh, that would be quite a good challenge for an actor. I think they'd be up for that. Is we dug Pepe still around in lockdown? Pepe, uh, no. Pepe died after the first boy monologues. He's no in Moira too, um, which is really interesting because early on in uh, the second Moira show, more Moira monologues because um, time had moved on. It was eight years later, so I had to let the audience know quite quickly what had happened in intervening time. And she said, you know. My boys have moved out. Why them's getting married? My mum's dead. I'm living on my own. Peppy's up in Doug Kevin. And everybody suddenly goes, Oh. <laughs> so all the other stuff about like her mum being dead elicited no reaction, but Peppy dying. Folk were really kind of sad to hear that. Uh, which is quite, I suppose that's job done with, you know, like making people care about Peppy. So he does really carry forward, doesn't he? See, Moira went for being in a full house in the first Moira monologues. Our, our, our two sons were still in the house. Um, and she's probably in her late 30s to the third one where she's no able to see anybody, including her grandmains. And that's what's really hurting her because, like, my mum and my wife's mum, like, they were really gutted that they couldn't see their grandmains during lockdown. There's probably everybody out there will recognise a story like this. No, certain folk nobody able to see certain folk was really painful so that's happening to her but she's also really enjoying lockdown because she's like I can sit out in the garden two in the afternoon the sun's shining every day and open a bottle of Audi and chat to my pal Babs over the fence you know and she doesn't have anything else to do because do you remember Mark at the start of lockdown there was the fear like the panic of like holy fuck the world's ending and then there was the kind of Everybody could have settled into it for a few weeks and the sun was shining every day and everybody wanted to be outside and it was kind of putting society on pause for a while made us all go, well, this is what it's like when industrial society stops. No, no, everything stopped, obviously. But for a lot of us, it was, like, terrifying but also kind of, like, soothing in, in some other ways. Maybe, maybe that um, that was just my particular situation. I know some folk had a terrible time. I didn't mean, mean to be flipping up. Yeah, that. no, I think I think there's just I've heard loads of stories uh, from people who actually enjoyed it. You know, about people that maybe suffer from anxiety, social anxiety, and stuff like that. That actually they had a good time with it, and they actually suited uh, doing online stuff more. 
and uh, I know other people who absolutely hated it in a terrible time. So it's just everyone had a different experience, and I suppose we we I suppose how how would Moira? So obviously she, you can't imagine how she'd be doing post lockdown because I think. I know I was very disappointed with 2022, you know, a lot, a lot of funerals and stuff like that, and just generally, it wasn't quite the party that I was expecting it, people to come out, because, you know, a lot of people were still scared to go out, so you weren't getting, you know, you know, artists were struggling to sell tickets, add a bit of Brexit in as well, and you've got the cost of living going up, and tours are getting cancelled, like, quite big name acts that you would expect to be able to handle it cancelling so it was just a bit of a I think the 2022 was what was that that excitement of being back out again but it just wasn't quite as good and obviously the world had changed forever regardless if the pub's open again do you know what I mean mm. so how do you think Moira would I, I mean I suppose she'd be just glad to get her grand see her grandmans that's what it comes down to for her basically aye uh, I mean the final scene in the show does end in August 2022 so when I was doing these French performances, the last scene was the life that the audience were experiencing right then, which was being our, our final scenes in the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm not getting too much away when I say that. She goes through to the Edinburgh Fringe just because she can. Lockdown's over, she can do that. Um, and so I thought there would be a resonance that the audience being back at the Edinburgh Fringe after having been away for experiencing live performances would kind of like, oh, right, okay, that's that's where we are. So there is a kind of hint of a post-lockdown life for her uh, at the end of the show. I don't, I'll not say too much, obviously, because it'll hopefully yeah. it'll become apparent when folks see it. But um, I didn't really want to be too specific about what that life would be. Um, you just want to give folk a kind of feeling for what's going to happen to her after, after lockdown. Um, but you're right, we are in a, like, Every time I go to the pub, right, the village where I live, there's like three really good pubs in Lockwana. And every time I go, the conversation comes up. Do you remember when we couldn't do this? Like, the pub was an impossible dream. Like, it was being on a stage in front of anybody was an impossible dream. And it wasn't even that long ago, Mark. Like, it's only maybe a year ago, folk were still worried about. I must admit, I didn't no, really. Bang on it, bang on a year ago because we did our. Friction Burn Supper is a live streaming thing. Um, I think we actually could have done it, but it was on the day that they changed the rules. So that's, that's about a bang on a year ago, pretty much. That There was no... There might have been pubs. I just don't think you could have live music or you couldn't have background music or there was a very low level background music. Some some crazy rules with that. I, I mean, that was a bit mental. That's also in the show. There's a scene where the pubs open back up again. And she goes to them and she's really up for being in the pub again, but you can't have music on. You weren't allowed to go to anybody else's <laughs> table. You couldn't go right, to the bar. It was table service only in a lot of places. You weren't allowed to shout. You know, like, so we were all happy to be in the pub again, but it was a kind of, it was the atmosphere. That wasn't a pub though, was it? It was. I mean, that's not why you go to a pub. Um, exactly. Sort of it was too yeah. many rules. It's not what it's not. What, it's not what a pub is for me, anyway. And I don't know um, the pubs. Are that, but no, definitely not. Definitely, definitely not. Us. And it was a lot more extra work for the for the people that are working there as well. Man. It was an absolute nightmare because they're trying to stick to all these rules. Uh, Jigsaw Tiger saying it could also be a multimedia experience with some story choices on video if the options grew arms and legs. 
Well, I must admit, I'm not very tech, um, so I, I don't know how that would work. But you would hope that maybe if somebody who saw the potential in that and did know how that would work and was able to do it, you know, I would definitely be happy to have that conversation because it would work in that format. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's the first thing I've ever really done that's properly interactive between the audience and the thing itself. You know, that's never really happened before. And uh, going back to the qu uh, trilogy, quartrilogy, whatever, uh, quart uh, Jim said a four-partner is a tetralogy. A te tetralogy. tetralogy, right. Um, Nice one. And right. Epi, who is actually, I just want to say um, thanks to Epi, who's actually been supporting um, the, the Mince and Tatties YouTube membership for, what's that, 13 months. Thank you very much, Epi, for supporting the channel. Uh, that says it's quartet it in tetralogy. <laughs> Usually for books. Tetra uh, Tetra. Uh, movies is quadrology. Movies is quadrilogy. So, which is why I saw the alien quadrilogy being marketed. Aye, okay, and it wasn't called yeah. the other one. Uh, right, well, that's good to know. Should Moira ever become that? Aye. Mark, how would you feel well, if I just for two seconds and got the bottle of wine so I can top myself up? All right, I'm okay, on you go, man. On you go. I'll just right. do a wee plug then. Aye, go for it, mate. Go for it. Uh, yeah, I was just saying there, thanks to Epi for uh, supporting the channel over the last 13 months. If you want to support you call that radio. If you're watching on Facebook, Twitch or Twitter, you're better off going to YouTube. It's a better video quality. I say that as my camera's actually just got a wee bit of... Uh, I think that's a bit now. But yeah, um, thanks to all the patrons. Patreon.com forward slash you call that radio. Or you can jo hit the join button underneath our YouTube channel as well. And that's how we can continue to do the interviews and that's how we can do the the live stream sessions because we've been putting up live sessions for a while but now it seems that we've got the technology to actually broadcast live from venues which is what we did uh, for Friction Burn Supper last week really pleased with how it turned out check it out on the channel if you haven't already and uh, for the first time I'm very pleased that the cameras look great um, audio was pretty much perfect for most acts so, yeah, it's exciting because that, that's obviously what I'm hoping to do this year is take live shows and live stream them to people who can't make it. Because I think with the cost of living crisis, there is going to be people who can't go out as much. And, of course, there's people that watch from all around the world. You know, we've got people in England, America, Coburnley. It's, a, it's an international audience here. Um, and so, um, Alan and the Golden Goblet, Oh, yeah, the Golden Goblet, right? Okay, for the drink. What is the best wine? Are you asking me? Yes. Listen, I really like wine, but I can nothing about it. My wife knows a bit better about wine. Like, she knows what wines go with foods and all that. So, see, whenever we're out, she just orders something nice. Um, I just drink it, I, I must admit. But I would say that the one thing uh, they like. And it's maybe because I like the label. You know, sometimes the label's really cool. And that's why they do a really cool label. Like, yeah, that's a really cool label. Like, 19 Crimes. It's got a prisoner on the front and they look really kind of crab it. Um, and they, that one I tend to find I quite like. It's the hangovers of wine that I dislike, but I do yeah. like a wine myself. Aye, the, the hangover. See, the thing about wine is, right, 
you're drinking it and you're like, oh, it's wine. You know, like, it's so middle class and elegant and it gets you fucked. It really does, actually. Wine, the, the, the more you drink wine, like, the more difficult drinking gets, to be quite honest. See vodka, a wee cheeky vodka or, like, a peach snaps. I tend to find, like, after a couple of glasses of wine, I'll have a wee cheeky peach snaps. Wee, a wee bit of sugar coming in there and also it reminds me of being a teenager because it's the first thing I get drunk on. That's the last time I drank peach snaps. It tastes really nice. Bring back peach snaps and lemonade, man. It's actually a really low. You couldn't drink it all night. That's too much sugar. But a, a wee peach snaps, lovely. Lovely. Just to interrupt the wine. In fact, that's making me wish I had some here right now. I'm going to get peach some. Snaps. Peach snaps. I forgot. I forgot all about peach snaps. It was a, it was a school. I think we had a school disco. That, that and Meriden, I think was it. <laughs> um the, <laughs> that was the cider of the day at the time. Um, paired, paired with Space Raiders, I think. Uh, Kareem saying, download the app and the criminal talks to you, Alan Bissett. What, what, what's that a reference to? That's to the, the future tech. You know, but you don't really know about Yes, what you said, you don't know about the tech, but maybe it could be an right. app. Right, my son came to me recently and he's six. And he said, Daddy, you're not very modern, aren't you? And I was like, no, I'm no son. And he's like, why is that? Because he thinks everything technological is great, obviously, because he's six. And I'm like, everything was better in the past, son. And he kind of looked at me like, I was like, oh, I didn't mean like, you's no being here. I wouldn't have changed that. But like, past, <laughs> past was better than this. I do think it was. I think in the 90s, before the internet came along, and here we are talking the internet, obviously there's benefits and advantages to it. Of course there is. But I think the, the real task of our generation who can remember a world before the internet is to tell the next generation, what the world was like before the internet. Because after a while, we all die and there'll be no memory of anything before the internet. And I think there were some things in that world that were worth holding on to. Uh, and I'm kind of glad that like the 90s didn't have that in it. No, Gallagher talked about this in an interview recently. He said, why was Nebworth so important? And he said, well, you didn't have a see a photo holding up a phone, experiencing it through a screen. Everybody was in the moment. It was the last big coming together of... I was kind of ambivalent about Oasis at the time. I came to appreciate them a bit more. But I can definitely see what he's saying. Oasis was something in the 90s. Everybody came together in the real world about it. And I had nothing to do with the internet. And that was the last time that we experienced that as a culture, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to ever be that big. But that's what like he said, pros and cons, because there's lots of great little niches that have popped out and lots of bands that can yeah. make a, a living without a major label and they can go on tour and they can Absolutely. do that kind of stuff. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to be like old man shouts at cloud, right? No, no, it's all right. No, I mean, I did yeah. actually uh, did a, a tune last year and it was kind of aimed at the, the Glen Boy elderly who had been isolated. So we did a tune for the, the old genes of Glen Boy and we got Michael Redmond, uh, Father Stone, for, to do the video. And one of the lines is, I remember before internet, and it's quite funny because it's like obviously told it from the story of a a guy who's retired, but it is one of those things like, I remember before internet, you know, if you say that to, you know, a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old, it does make you sound like you're at retirement age, but I remember it. It was, I mean, the internet did exist when I was a teenager, but it was really shite, you know, there was no, re there was no reason for, there was no use of it. I think it, was probably, it wasn't until later on when you got YouTube and stuff like that. It was pretty pointless, to be honest, for me. Anyway. 
when we were growing up, the world that we inhabit now was absolutely unimaginable. Absolutely unimaginable. Like the, the very idea that we would be communicating like this. And you think back to yeah. before the internet is like the, the speed at which we've that society has changed. And you know, like in some ways for the better. You know, like the, the internet has had benefits. I'm I'm definitely not saying that, but But it was some James Bond shit. You've seen this this would be like, oh my god, this is like a James Bond film. <laughs> and but when I actually when I did actually have a phone that had the technology to do video calls, I hated video calls, I still do. I don't even like audio calls coming through my Facebook. I turn them off as well. But I have a phone that when... can't access the internet. Uh, like, like, this is my phone. Like, see this button. Is, is this one of the, is this one of the fancy new ones that deliberately doesn't have things? No, no. I think it, it's an actual old school oh, phone. Maybe, it, maybe it is. I don't know, but I don't want the internet on it. I went into a, a mobile phone shop, right, and I said to the guy, I was like. I want to get a new mobile phone that has buttons and I didn't really want to access the internet, but I want to still be able to use WhatsApp because it's how all my pals communicate with each other and like, I need it, right? It's like for the primary school, there's a WhatsApp group and I need to be part of it. And the guy was like, ooh, right. And he got his colleagues around and he's like, so this guy's wanting a touch, a, a button phone. <laughs> like, uh, the internet, internet. And like, but still, what's up? Well, what would that be? And they're all looking, and I was like, "Oh, that, like, this is a wee challenge for them." It's, well, like, it's what, a chin scratcher here. Hi, what they're going to come up with? And that that was the phone that they came up with. But I realised it's going to be. What's that? Alcatel. Alcatel. What is it? I'll tell you right now. It's a yeah. Doro. Doro. A Doro. No, I don't know. Doro. But, but but I'm interested in that because I, what I tried to do was December, I was. I knew I, was, I knew I was going on holiday, so I tried to get myself, you know, I, I was just thinking, th there was this one thing, I just used to have an MP3, but for a, a brief moment in time, somebody gave me an old iPod, and it worked great for about, maybe a couple of months, and then it broke forever, but it was just this couple of months where I was just so happy, like a child again, having my, all my tunes there, everything there, and you know, going a cycle, going a walk in the park, you know what, and then, I know that I feel the distraction. So when I do listen to Spotify or um, or anything on my phone, an audio book or whatever, I pick up the phone and I see notifications. When I want to change the track or whatever, or change the volume, you see those notifications and you get distracted. So I tried to find, buy an iPod so I couldn't get that. The prices of iPods were ridiculous because they're like um, hipster nostalgia now. So they were too expensive for what they were. And for the low memory, so, and I go end up buying a kind of new modern MP3 player, and as soon as it arrived, it's got the internet on it. It's got Facebook, it's got Twitter, and oh, yeah. uh, Spotify's on it. So I did, I didn't, I just didn't install the apps. I didn't sign into them. Um, so what, what, what I do have is a Spotify on it, which I've, I've actually is quite handy because you can download playlists that you've made. So it actually was quite a good thing, and it means now I can go a walk and leave my phone in the house and just listen again That's and good. tribe in the moment. Because that's, that's what good. Lindsay's saying. I savour those lucid moments of remembering no internet and no mobiles. And that's it's like travelling. I I don't I like going new places, but I was just in Ireland at the weekend. I hate travelling. I get so bored. And uh, so this is the way forward for me, is just have a thing, but have the phone switched off or leave it in the house. I'm still trying to hold it, definitely. I, um, and obviously I need to use the internet. And, you know, like, sometimes I didn't even resent it because, like, if I'm doing the kitchen, I'll put on YouTube and 
I can disappear doing a whole of folk talking about, oh, Thor's cape is different in this movie than it was in that movie. And I'm like, oh, they've redesigned Thor's cape. Like, I'm like, happy as a pig and shit, and the internet is able to bring that to me. But I do think it's, we're still trying to deal with its effects, basically. Um, and people, and people expecting mm -hmm. an immediate answer. Mm -hmm. You know, people just assume that you've read every message and you've you've you've, you've taken a dislike from them if you don't reply straight away. I'm like, chill out, we're going with lives, you know what I mean? Definitely. By the way, I was wrong to say that we were talking about an app for your play. I got that wrong. It was actually the 19 Crimes wine, the wine that you're drinking. Oh, I and see. Angela's back, <clears throat> and Angela's backed it up and said, 19 Crimes is lovely. You can download the app and get the story of the crimes and about the character on the bottle. I'm up for that. And Ray Woods has all said, the 19 Crimes wine is interactive online. People telling stories. This is the website. Let's just... Let me just I know I am 100% falling for the marketing here. But sometimes... <laughs> right, this is a thing about marketing. And I'm a socialist, right? So this really gets on my tits. Obviously, marketing is fucking capitalism's face. But at the same time, see when you're marketed it successfully, you're kind of like, I quite like that. I like what you're doing there. All right, I'm, I'm going to look at their stories and follow that. Because I bought the bottle because of the label and the name. So they find out that I might find out about real prisoners that at the time that these photos were taken. That's what I'm looking for on a wine. Yes, <laughs> crime. What are you looking for in a wine? I, w I want a paired with crime. All right, that's fine. Market fuck out it to me. I didn't really care what it tastes like too much. <laughs> so, like the links, I'm going to put the link here for other well, people. I'm not going to. I was going to actually bring up the website, but I realise I'm not. I'm not advertising a wine company. We don't have any adverts on this show because we've got we've got patrons. So right. we don't. That's so why we don't do adverts. But I put the link in there for anyone who's who is a wee bit curious about what this is. But um, that, that's the end of the week. This. this is fucking viral marketing. I know. Send us a few bottles. Send us a few bottles. What's it, man? I, worked in, I, worked, I did a bit of sales and call centers when I was young. And I, I, I can appreciate like a, a salesperson. You know, like, Joe, Joe laughs at me for falling for the, the sales pitch. But I know it's a sales pitch, but I like, I like a good sales pitch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. We all like a story, basically. Yeah. So um, just to, to wrap things up, we're going to say this is uh, it's April the second. Uh, the link is here. Moira in lockdown. It's a Sunday, is that right? It is. I which I realise maybe isn't totally conducive for folk for a DJ set afterwards. But if you can stay around and want to have a dance, what time? Bit. What time's the DJ set? What time is the DJ? Oh, the set? What show? time does it start? At? What time is the show? I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure. So the show's only an hour, basically. So I think it's probably starting about eight o'clock, but that's no gospel. Um, it'll be on the website. The show's it says door seven, show eight, according yeah, to the there website. We there we are. Um, and, and the we'll show is about an hour? Turn the room around, get the chairs out, you know, obviously dance floor. Um, so probably um, maybe half an hour after that, something like that. Um, aye, feel free. Like, it doesn't even need to be like everybody else to be on the dance floor, like just pleather, like sit with your pals, do what you want. But the music that you're hearing will be amazing. That is my that is problem. Bangers, that bangers is galore. It's uh, the ticket links here, 2nd of April. Uh, thanks. Uh, Kareen says, hopefully, see you there. I hope to see you there as well. I've, I've got it in my diary. I'm hoping to go. And um, Jigsaw Tiger said, Friction Birds was great, especially for people like me 
We can't always get for health reasons, so really appreciate the stream. Well, thank you, Jigsaw Tinger. That's what it's all for. We want to be able to bring the gigs to people, so we can only do that if people support the Patreon and the YouTube membership. So if you do enjoy anything that's on the channel, stick in a couple of quid a month. It does make the difference. Uh, Kareem's getting the Monday off. That's what I'll be doing as well, I think. That's, that's problem solved. Alan, always a pleasure. What? Come on. We'll get a I will. Ball. I will. We've never had a dance in real life. Off. Dance online when I did my Zoom yeah. discos, but we've never had a dance in real life. We'll have a dance in real life on April the 2nd, Alan. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure. Good luck with the show and all the various other projects that you're working on just now. Is this a Netflix thing? It's actually a, a, a podcast. Is, what the fuck's a podcast? You know, it's um, kind of like a radio show. Call that radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh.